Crossway Church Sermon Audio. Well, go ahead and turn your Bibles into Second Timothy, please. As we turn now to Paul's words to the to his dear son in the faith, Timothy. And the title of this morning's message is All Give All. All Give All. During the Vietnam War, it's estimated, general estimates go around between 60,000 to 100,000 men ended up avoiding the military draft by escaping to different countries like Canada or Sweden. It's a lot of men who sought to escape The draft, these men were popularly referred to as the draft dodgers. They had scores of reasons, the rationale for escaping the military and escaping Vietnam and service, some based on their conscience and the conviction that they would not be a participant in war, others in fear, fear of death. We can all certainly understand that. And some simply because it was the cool, the counter-cultural thing to do at the time. The idea of a hippie that comes to mind, it, was, it, was the right, it seemed to them the right and best thing to do, to join with other like-minded people in different places. And military conscription, the idea of the draft, has always been in history. Throughout all kingdoms, throughout all of military history, it has been a part of what happens, the reality of war, where kings and governments have pressed the young men into service, Right? particularly during times of war when the need is great. And I have lived in my lifetime from 1976 to today, there hasn't been a a press or a draft conscription for men to join the service. So our government and governments like ours in peacetime often resort to rewards, whether it's the GI Bill and the blessing of, of paying for college or other kind of benefits to draw men and, and people to battle or to, to, the, to the army to sign up. But I do not know the, or have never felt the sobering weight of, of, of wondering, is my name going to be called? Is, is the draft going to pull my number? Do I need to show up and, and face a, partic- a potentially violent situation by no real choice of my own? But when the Lord saves and calls a person to follow him, it is a call to battle. Make no mistake, as we've already encountered in First and Second Timothy here, that our Lord is a, certainly a Lord of peace, but his, his effect on people, his effect on this world, it's a bombshell. It brings and creates conflict. And Jesus warned us, right? He warned us. He said, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Right? He says that in, in Matthew 10, 34. And then there's this moment in Luke 22 when Jesus has gathered his disciples. He's about to send them out to minister to villages. And listen to these in, interesting words. And Jesus, in charging his disciples, says this. He says, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and go buy one. Really? It's very interesting that our Savior is commanding the disciples to purchase weapons. It's very interesting. And I believe a new Christian should be told to expect warfare. Are you a new believer? Have you recently trusted in Christ, baptized in his name? Well, 
you should expect warfare. It's a battle we're going into. That this life in Christ will cost everything, but it really truly is the worthiest fight in the world. And every true Christian knows that. We believe that. We're rushing into it. This is a worthy fight. Christianity is a wartime faith, right? The apostles charge us in so many manly and militaristic ways. They'll say things as we've read Paul already in this letter, in all of Paul's letters, and the other apostles. To act like men, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians, or to, to be good soldiers here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, or to fight, or to resist the devil, so says the apostle James. These are, these are militaristic, violent, manly things that the Christian is called to. That our Savior who, who commands us to take up a sword, he calls us to a battle. And if we are to be faithful to our Lord and to his gospel, we all must take our place in the battle line with our sword drawn. We must in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7, which we'll be reading in a moment, Paul is speaking to a battle-weary and a battle-timid Timothy. And he's calling him to faith, to hope in the grace of the gospel, that he might become a battle-ready brother. And so the Lord addresses us this morning in this word in the same way, that we who are battle-weary, or many here who are very timid about battle, fearful even, about what lies ahead and the sufferings and the costs of the gospel to follow Jesus in this world. To battle timid and battle weary, Christ calls us to be battle ready. And so let's read chapter two, verses one through seven. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men, Who will be able to teach others also? Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is the word of the Lord. It will change, it will transform, it will protect us. So let's dive in. Our theme is for this morning, soldier on, give all for the strength and reward of Christ. Soldier on and give all the strength and reward of Christ. And in this warfare to which we are called, there are three things we're going to take hold of that are necessary for our courage, that will stir us to see just how worthy is the fight we're engaged in, that will stir us to faith and even to suffer for our Lord's sake. And these three words are legacy and reward and understanding. So let's turn first at the word legacy, verses 1 and 2. Legacy. In the closing words of chapter 1, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy that there is a harsh reality to Christian discipleship, to taking up the gospel for being a strategic part of the kingdom of God and the service of the king. Attrition is real, desertion happens. 
on the lines of warfare in the gospel. And Timothy, Paul, like Paul has, has laid out for us several names already in this letter. And Timothy knows their stories, these men, these people who have deserted the Lord Jesus Christ or deserted the cause and the mission of the gospel. Timothy is very humbled and sobered by their stories. And what is it going to take for Timothy to fare any better, any better than Hermogenes or Phygelus? What, what sets Timothy apart to be able to handle the challenges and the sufferings of the gospel any better than those two men? Or what will make Timothy to stand up to the example of Onesiphorus, this man who was a stable, steady soldier of Christ who came to the aid of Paul, clearly a great cost to himself? What is it going to take? It's going to be Grace. All of grace, because these opening words of chapter 2, you read them, we read them together. It is all about the necessary steel and backbone of the grace of God entering into the soul of Timothy. Paul says it, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Find strength, find resolve, find courage, find all you need in the grace of Christ. Timothy, you must be strong. You must take your full strength and courage from the grace of the Lord. Timothy, there's a cross to be carried. There's a foe to be faced. There are fears that must be endured. And your strength will not flow, right? Your strength will not flow from any other source. It will not come from your bootstraps, Timothy. It will not come by you looking in the mirror and shouting at yourself, it will not come by beating on your chest like a gladiator in a rush of adrenaline moments before he rushes the battlefield. It's not going to be coming through surrounding yourself with decisive and strong people so that you might feel brave. No, Timothy, it will only come by the grace, all-sufficient grace of Christ Jesus. That is the source of your strength. It's the grace that flowed from the veins of Jesus Christ to the dirt beneath his cross. It's the grace that burst forth from the grave on the third day when he arose from the dead. It's the grace that now sits at the right hand of the Father. Christ, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And grace, when Paul talks about grace, it's his shorthand way of talking about all the undeserved resources of Jesus Christ. All the resources that you or I might ever need, in whatever contingency, whatever situation we find ourselves as God's chosen people, wherever he places us under his orders, he will supply whatever that need is. It is his grace, undeserved, all-powerful, Fully sufficient, it is the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul reminds Timothy in this first verse of that grace to be strong in God's resources through Christ. But that grace and the fruit of that grace cannot remain just with Timothy, cannot remain just with us right here and now. There is an army certainly that needs to take our place. We need to take our place in the battle line today. But we need to recruit and, and see to it that the, the, the lines behind us are well equipped. Those who follow behind us also are in the grace and the strength of Christ. So Paul, here in verse 2, 
turns his attention that the gospel be entrusted to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul's concern here is one of legacy. That the gospel would bear the fruit certainly of strength in our hearts, but then in that grace it would be pushed along further, deeper into the hearts of those who follow behind us, those who are with us, those who are yet to be in this world. Little ones like Caleb in the NICU right now, that his heart one day would be filled with the grace and the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's going on here. Paul has in his mind those who are yet here or those who are yet to be mature. So it's not enough for you and me to be strong in the grace of Christ and to ignore those who are behind us. In fact, that's contemptible. Think about a father who might raise their children in such a way that they care little and act little to actually make sure that their children are walking in the grace of God that their instructions are few and far between, that their affections are distant, that their actual presence in the home is found wanting, their discipline, their instruction in the Lord is not present. It's contemptible. I mean, an illustration of this would be shown in 2 Kings chapter 20. A good example of this kind of contempt. In this story, Isaiah the prophet approaches Hezekiah the king, king of Judah, And Isaiah tells Hezekiah, basically, that Judah and and Hezekiah's own sons will be left in ruins after Hezekiah dies. And here's Hezekiah's response in verse 19. Hezekiah says this. He says, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. How contemptible. And he goes on and says, why not? if there will be peace and security in my days. Do you you sense the, the contempt that's dripping from those words? Contemptible for a man to think only of his own condition, of his own situation. This is a tarnish on Hezekiah's otherwise faithful reign in Judah. And listen, it's a, such a different story with so many among us here this morning. Such a different story. Many of the older and senior saints here among us at Crossway, you carry this burden beautifully, the burden of legacy of Christ. You carry this close to your hearts as you desire, as you pray, as you labor to see younger generations to step up to the battle line just as you have been doing, that they would take up in the strength of Christ the arms that God calls us to, to suffer. You're taking your part Older saints, you're taking your part and passing the torch. You are praying, you're reaching out, you're sharing, you're investing in the younger people at Crossway. You're doing whatever you can do to see them established and fruitful, right, in the gospel. You open your hearts, you open your homes. You pull people aside when they're troubled and you refresh them. You hear them out, you pray for them. You give and you teach and You exemplify a life of costly, long obedience to Jesus Christ. This profoundly honors Jesus. Older saints, thank you. For those who are faithful in Christ, thank you. And for the influence and effect you have on the younger generations at Crossway Church, thank you. And if you have been affected by the counsel, the care, the example of an older saint, I charge you today to go and thank them 
encouraged. They need encouragement in this battle too. That their efforts are not in vain. That their influence is, is wielding fruit. It's bearing fruit. Please go encourage them today. And this, is, this transference of the gospel, this legacy of the grace of God is a central concern in the hearts of all of God's people. For those who are under the influence of the power of that strengthening gospel, we care about those who are behind us. And I think of parenting. What more important thing to being a mother and a father than to see our children walking in the Lord? That's what we yearn for, right moms and dads? Right grandma, right grandpa? That we long to see those behind us loving Jesus, bearing fruit as unto the Lord. Like what good is it if our children gain the world, succeed, marry well, but forfeit their souls? We long to see our children in Christ bearing fruit. That's our prayer. That's our yearning. And that's certainly the desire and the intent of our entrust ministry. Right now, under our feet, is happening in classrooms with teachers and assistants and children, singing songs, doing activities, opening the scriptures. Why? Because we want to pass the gospel. Our children need to know about Jesus. They need to obey Jesus. They need to grow in Jesus. And that's why we do and trust. And that's why there's this new future men gathering monthly for, for, for men and their sons, ages 4 through 12. What a wonderful opportunity to, for young men, young boys, to grow up as men in Christ. The gospel transference. This is the heart of what we do and the gospel's effect in our lives. Now, verse 2 reveals the apostolic strategy for leaving a legacy of grace in the church. And what's in view here is, is eldership, biblical eldership. Paul commands that Timothy should raise up dependable, faithful men who are able to teach. And this is the core of Paul's strategy for a healthy church and for fruitful gospel mission. This is how the church is supposed to engage in war. The church needs officers. God has supplied those officers, both in the elders and in the deacons, elders who rule and teach and deacons who serve and ensure that the needs of the church are met and attended to. And all these officers, elders and deacons, providing examples of character and devotion to the doctrines of the gospel and to living out lives worthy of Jesus Christ. And the office of elder is a critical component of a, of a church that is strong in grace. And as your pastors, as your elders... Peter and Steve and myself, is our heart and our prayer, our desire to raise up men for this very reason. That there could be behind us elders and around us elders who serve faithfully in the gospel. We have, and you, you saw one of them this morning, Corey, these elder interns who are in the process of eldership training. And these men were seeking to establish them as faithful men, time and trial tested, men who are able to handle accurately the word of truth. And these men must be in submission to God's word. They must have been proven by character and in life. An eldership is not about influence by popularity. It's not through podcasting. Eldership is, is not about gaining favor by pleasing people or, or telling them things that they want to hear whether it's through the pulpit or in counseling. No, much rather, it's about shouldering the cause and the costs of the gospel and seeing to it 
that the church stands secure, stable, both feet planted at the battle lines of the Lord, all together. That's, that's what eldership is about, the battle before us. It's about legacy. So soldier on, give your all for the strength and reward of Christ. This brings us to our second point of reward. So we've looked at the gospel legacy, how it is our heart and desire, our concern for the gospel's effect in our lives is that we love and long to see those behind us walking faithfully. Secondly, there's reward. So in verses three through six, Paul turns to communicate this desire and burden to Timothy. This is the same note that was struck in chapter one, verse eight, where Paul, I remind you, says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul strikes the very similar note here in verse three, where he says these words, look with me. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So Paul is appealing, he's entreating that Timothy would step up, that he would willingly and courageously suffer just as Paul was doing at that moment in the writing of this letter, that he would step up to the Lord's battle. So in Paul's appeals, he's anticipating the effect of those words. He's he's anticipating how this would land on Timothy's heart and, and by extension, how this lands on our hearts. To be told that we are called to suffer for the cause of the gospel. That you and I must deny ourselves, take up a cross and follow a crucified Jesus Christ. One who was crucified, that we're called to follow him. The effect of those words is it's no trite thing. It's, it's not for the faint of heart to, to follow a crucified Savior. So in verses 4 through 6, he's, Paul's going to give us three pictures that help illustrate for us both the rigors of enlistment in the Lord's army, but also the reward of being enlisted in this army that suffers for the cause of Christ. Okay? So three pictures. And the first picture is that of being single-minded bent on obedience to please the one who enlisted us. And that's in verse 4 where Paul says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. A soldier that gets entangled with civil affairs outside of the army's purview is no good. He's not a good soldier. Consider if a man enlists in the army, wants to go to war and goes to the battlefront, but upon arriving at the battlefront, ends up taking a side job as a local fisherman. That's a ridiculous thing to do, but that's what he did. He goes about splitting his time between fishing and fighting. Maybe he's a great fisherman. This man knows the waterways like the back of his hand. He is very handy at mending nets. He knows fish and their behaviors and the weather patterns effect on those fish. He is an excellent fisherman. And his his yields, his catches are remarkable. He's a profitable fisherman, and he makes a good side gig fishing. But consider, this this soldier is divided between two incompatible worlds, right? His feet are in two different places, on a boat and on a battlefield. How does that work out? It doesn't. That's insane (laughs) to think that you can carry on both of those lives, the chaos of that kind of thing. Because how can a commanding officer depend on that soldier for his courage, for his strength on the battlefield at the front if he may not be there? 
They might be fishing in a boat somewhere else, right? It doesn't work. No good soldier divides his passions. The good soldier, Paul tells us here, has one single passion, purpose, absolutely focused, single-minded, to please the one who enlisted him. And this is an apt description of the devoted disciple of Jesus Christ and the effect of the grace of God on the heart of a true Christian. So I ask you, is Jesus Christ the single focus, the single passion, the single purpose of your life? Is he? If he's not, it will become quite obvious. The fruit will show. Because the divided soldier is slow to sacrifice and slow to deny himself. Listen, either you will bear the marks of a devoted and a self-denying soldier, or you will show that the you will bear the ever-increasing bitter fruit of being divided. Being divided in heart creates anxiety, depression, creates chaos of the soul, it creates weariness. Because we can't keep two worlds up. Who can do that? No one can. You can't serve two masters. That splits people in half. And literally, people will try. They will die trying. They will ruin their lives, everything, to try to keep up two worlds. The divided soldier says yes to all kinds of appetites, entertainments, distractions, and comforts. He says yes to side hustles to trying to make gains in this world, selfish gains. He says yes to creating cushions between himself and responsibility and accountability. The divided soldier wants none of those things. The divided soldier is easily wearied, confused by his attempt to keep up two different lives, two different purposes between fishing and fighting. So I ask you, are you overwhelmed? Are you wearied easily by life? Is your life so crammed and over busy? These can be symptoms of a divided soldier. Symptomatic of a divided heart. Divided passions and purposes within the world. But being a good soldier leads us single focus to battle. And this brings us to what one commentator said. He said, in serving Christ, the first rule is self-denial. With the possibility of earthly loss, self-directed service to Jesus is invalid. It is not up to us to determine how we will please him. Rather, obedience is the root of all genuine fruitful service, and it is that obedience which will lead the servant of God in directions they would rather not go. Brothers and sisters, this is the life to which we are called as soldiers in the Lord's army. We don't call the shots. We don't decide where we should go. Where we are placed, where God has commanded us to go, wherever that is and whatever station of life that happens to be, that is where you or where I need to step up to the battle line. Where we are placed is where we are commanded to serve. That's where we're commanded to sacrifice. Suffering for our Savior. And that brings us to the second picture of enduring discipleship. What is this soldier, this good soldier meant to be like? Well, he's also meant to be like an athlete. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Paul brings us to the Olympic arena, to the athlete, to devoted, disciplined, to athletic skill, right? Beating his body into submission so that his body is able to do athletic things, 
things I have not done for years. For long-distance runners, they stretch first, then they run forever, it seems. They just keep going. For the wrestler, they obsessively learn and practice new ways of besting their opponent, right? And learning to, to build up their muscles and their reflexes. You know, for the shot putter, it's about raw strength in the right form to launch that heavy ball across the field for the prize. That's a single focus, to learn those skills and to do them well. In each case, Paul tells us that these athletes must compete, he says, according to the rules. And this means that they must keep within the lines of the competition. No shortcutting. You don't color outside of these lines. You do the whole thing. No steroids, no performance-enhancing drugs. No, a true athlete gives up the idea that success can happen. Victory can come apart from sacrifice and self-control and self-denial. They give it up. They realize that it's only found. And the application should be obvious that our devotion, our discipline should never be quick, easy, or contrary to the rules of our king. Very clear. The Lord commands us to be self-controlled, self-disciplined, to restrain our mouths from saying certain things, to say no to those thoughts that want to come out. He commands us to be self-controlled and to say no to certain appetites or the overfeeding of our appetites. Whatever those appetites happen to be, to be restrain ourselves from becoming greedy. God has shown us His will that we increase in godliness, Right? become more Christ-minded as we march onward. And the result in this verse, Paul tells us, that there's reward. An athlete is not crowned, he makes that point, unless he competes according to the rules. There is a crown that comes, a reward that is promised to those who are self-disciplined, self-controlled, who have stepped up to the lines of battle and are found faithful. That's what Paul's telling us. That athlete will not be crowned any other way except that they are found faithful faithful, competing according to the rules. Now, we'll talk more about rewards in a few moments, but this brings us to the third and final picture. He brings us to the early rising, back-breaking work of the farmer. In verse 6, it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Any farmer worth his salt gets very salty from the sweat of his labor. I, in all my years in Lancaster County, I've never met a lazy farmer. And if you know one, I, I need to meet him. So give me, a, give me his number, give me his name. I want to meet this guy, whoever he is. Because there's no such thing. There is no lazy farmer, right? They've got calluses. They've got filthy hands. They get the work done. They're up from dawn and they're there till dusk. And even during harvest time, you'll see their lights in the dark fields harvesting late into the night. These are hard-working people. And Paul's point here, as with the previous two pictures, is quite simple. The true disciple of Jesus Christ must have calloused, filthy hands. We must. If we're going to follow our Lord Jesus Christ in obedience. And I've got to confess, I don't like getting dirty. This is shameful, but I eat potato chips with a fork. I don't like getting fingers greasy. Is that wrong? Then I repent. I don't. 
I, for all, forever. So cheese curls, they're perfect because you could just stab it with a fork and it sits there on the fork, you know, keep going. If pressed, I will use my hands. I do and will, but if I, I got to be honest with you. I'm confessing here, I don't like it. But in the carrying of the cross of Jesus Christ, it is absolutely antithetical to being a faithful, good soldier that I would refuse to get my hands filthy. That I would refuse or I would be resistant to the dirt, to the grit, the hardship of carrying a cross. I cannot follow Jesus on my terms and without the gritty hardship of self-denial, self-control, discipline. Can't do it. That's on my terms, but I can't do that. That's unacceptable. Our hard work includes confessing, confessing our ugly sins to the Lord and to other people. It's hard. It's hard to have to share same shameful things I've said or thought or done to other people. It's hard work. Our hard work also includes dealing with harms that are done to us when people do or say hurtful things, that we work through that with peace, with love, instead of vengeance and bitterness in our hearts. That's hard to do. It's painful. Our hard work also involves getting up earlier than we prefer, right? Taking up Scripture, reading Scripture, seeking the Lord in prayer, asking for His help and His blessing. It's hard to do. It's hard. It's hard work. Our hard work also includes the work of fellowship and loving other people and serving them in the church, especially as the Lord directs. That can be costly. Our time, our preferences need to be sacrificed in many situations. When, when God calls you to serve God's people, it rarely will be at a good time or at a good place in your life. Rarely will it always, or rarely will it happen in such a way that you think, this is great, this is perfect. Rather, it will come with great cost. It's hard work. So are your hands dirty? That's my question. Are your hands dirty? Are they calloused? Are you working hard? Are you realizing that as you wake every morning, every single moment of your life belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. You, if you are a Christian, born again, if you have trusted in his gospel, you have repented of sin. You are following him. If that is you, you are the property of the Savior. He is your king. You are his subject. And we must, absolutely must, live in obedience and love to him. If we're going to be a good soldier, Faithful in the army of the Lord. But for the farmer, the athlete, and for the good soldier, consider what Paul's stressing in this point. There is rewards. For the man and and the good soldier, there is victory at the end of the battle. For the farmer, there is a crop, there is a harvest that he takes the good fruit in and enjoys. For the athlete, there's the crown, the honor, the glory of the prize. So our effort, our self-denial, our humility, our sacrifice are not in vain. It is not done in a vacuum. It is done under the watchful, gracious eye of a great God and Savior who rewards his people. He rewards good soldiers. He loves to bless his people. And there are so many Bible texts that speak of the promise of rewards. Time would fail. 
And so the apostle's word here must land on our hearts just as it did for Timothy because we can lose sight of the worthiness of this battle. So we slump or we slow down. We begin to look elsewhere for rewards. We begin to look outside of the battle for relief. We begin to think something off of the field of battle can and will satisfy me. Something out there. It's not so hard where my hands don't have to be so dirty or my soul doesn't have to be under the task of following my Savior or bearing up a cross. Brothers and sisters, the cause of so many of our problems is misplaced reward. Let that sink in. The source of so many of your personal problems boils down to this, misplaced reward. It's that you have your eyes off of the battlefield and we're tempted in our covetousness to dream and scheme for relief and rewards off of the battlefield. We look around at the seemingly easier lives of other saints and we covet what they have. We covet their experience. We long to have a life that's just easier like theirs is easier. And we say to the Lord, Lord, I didn't ask for this. I didn't I didn't ask for this life you've given me. I didn't ask for this trial. I didn't ask for this suffering. And how is this fair? Those kind of questions fill our hearts and our minds. But brothers and sisters, do not be deceived. The Lord sovereignly, graciously cares for you. He has ordered your days. He has ordered your trials. He has given you the life that you have, the station and the post where you are to remain. Until he calls you elsewhere, he will give you the grace to endure it. And he will give you all the grace and resources to do for his glory, to live a life that is pleasing and worthy of Christ. And that you would find your joy in Christ, because there is no more pursuit. There's no pursuit more satisfying, no treasure better, no battle worth fighting outside of the Lord Jesus Christ and living in his service and suffering for his gospel. And I ask you the question, why did you follow Jesus? Why are you here? Right, is it that we were looking for a place to lay our head? Was it for comfort? Was it this feeling of religion or easing of conscience? No. For those who are true Christians, we have followed Jesus because he has chosen to show us his great love and he has given us the hope of glory and that the greatest reward would be found in his presence. And we long for his presence. We believe and have come to know that he's the only good in this world. And and the world's wars, the way that this world fights its battles, they have a saying, all gave some, some gave all. But in the Lord's battle, it is all give all. All give all. That brings us to our final point. Soldier on, give all for the glory and strength and the reward of Christ. Brings us to understanding. We are drawn here to step in for the legacy of the gospel. Paul's calling us up to the battle lines. He's he's helping us to see the worth and the joy of obedience to Jesus, living a life pleasing to him. But in verse 7, Paul caps off his appeals to Timothy with a command and a promise. 
a command and a promise. He says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The Lord will give you understanding. So think, Timothy. Consider this. Weigh out what I'm saying to you in these pictures, these three pictures of Christian sacrifice and obedience and hard work and discipleship. Think about this. Do not allow fear or other desires to shout down or to crowd out what I'm saying, Timothy. Listen. Weigh it out carefully. Paul understands human nature. He lovingly anticipates Timothy's reading of this letter and the weight and the effect of these words on Timothy's heart. And he, by extension again, for us, he knows our nature. He knows he himself being made of the same flesh that we are weak by nature. We are fragile. We are but dust. We so easily could be tempted. And this call to give all has us all in a place, a very difficult place of wonder and fear because who can abide these orders? Who can stand to live in the way that Paul demands? Who can follow Jesus in the way that Jesus calls us to? Who's up to that? And to these responses, I I believe this is what what Paul's doing here. He's hushing us mid-sentence. He's hushing us and he's, 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 he's calling us away, snapping us back to reality. We cannot give in to self-pity. We cannot give in to despair here as though all is lost and we'll nev- never measure up. He's snapping us back. We are at war. It's not time for self-loathing. It's not time for hopelessness. It's time for repentance and it's time for renewed effort and strength that God provides by his grace. It's time for courage. It's not time to waver or to wonder if our Lord will show up with the necessary resources when we need them. It's time for you to step up to the battle line of the Lord. It's time for me, for all of us, for God's people to take our place, take our share of the gospel, of the suffering that comes with following and obeying at the line, the battle lines of the Lord. And Paul tells Timothy to think over, think over what I say. Doubt and double-mindedness have no place in the hearing of Paul's voice. For would the Lord, think about, would the Lord on the eve of our battle, when we have lined up in battle array, would the Lord then at that very moment turn and go the other way? Would he abandon us to be some pitiful platoon? Would he leave you or me to fight the battle alone? Would he leave us to figure out the resources and all the needs that we possibly could face and whatever contingencies and changes and strategy that the enemy might throw at us? Do you think the Lord would set us up on those lines and leave us? Is that where our doubts so quickly and easily go? Well, let us repent. And let us step up to that line with faith. That God, think over what Paul's saying here. Think about it. The Lord will supply his grace to you. Where are you right now in relationship to that battle line? Are you cowering abasements? Are you hiding in a shadow? Are you timid? Are you battle weary? Are you, is your weapon on the ground because it's exhausting to hold it? Where are you? Well, brothers and sisters, Tyler can return to the stage. Brothers and sisters, the battle's the Lord's. The battle is the, let that sink in for a moment. The battle is the Lord's. He 
will supply what we need. Whatever it might be, every contingency, everything's covered. He calls us to war and he will provide. It's his battle. I don't know where you are in relationship to that battle line, but the change, the truth is not changed. That is the battle is the Lord's. So will today be a good day for you? Or will it be a terrible day that ends in loneliness? Doesn't matter. The battle's the Lord's. He will give you the grace to endure it. The battle's the Lord's. Do you have hidden sin that needs to be confessed? The hardship of humbling yourself. The battle's the Lord's. Step up. Do you have a marriage that is failing? My brother or my sister, the battle is the Lord's. Do not give in. Do not give up because the battle, the Lord calls you to the battle. Are you anxious? Are you weary? Are you divided in your heart? The battle's the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. So as Christ's reward is coming, it is coming for all who are found faithful. So will you fight? Will you be found faithful? For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.